Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the Untapped Podcast. This week, we have a former IT professional and now brand experience manager, Jeff, who is here to tell us about his experiences with racism and discrimination within the workforce. And we are really excited to have Jeff here today. Jeff, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you joining the Untapped Podcast. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It's a great pleasure. Fantastic. So, First things first, as we usually do, give us a little bit of background on your education and your transition to the workforce and how your progress from previous careers have transitioned to your new role. Uh, So I'm a graduate of LV Hightower High School in Missouri City, Texas. Uh, Went to Sam Houston for six years because I didn't follow my counselor's advice in high school. I ended up having to pay for college out of pocket, which is still an in-progress thing. I started my uh, professional career in February of 2009 in the IT field, and that work continued up until January of this year, where I've transitioned into something that is completely different from the IT field. Um, Previous careers were all customer service-facing fields, whether it's food service. I worked at Disney doing an uh, internship for about eight months. So those kind of, those jobs actually prepared me for what I'm doing now. I just hadn't had access to do it for almost 10 years. So it, it's a drastic change from the IT field, but I, it's a, it is a welcome change. So, Jeff, what kinds of discrimination have you experienced within the workforce? Straight off of the back, the first one, well, probably my first and only level of discrimination was a racial discrimination issue. Um, and I'll, I'll give you guys a, the short synopsis of it. When I started my career, I was a 24, going on 25-year-old young man, heavily opinionated, smart as a whip, no nonsense. And I took that into the workforce. It helped with my customers, but it hurt when it came to the, uh, the management team. It, it put me in the wrong type of light. And I allowed, I allowed their opinions of me to kind of affect my work. So in the first two years of my company uh, experience, it was great. Then we uh, ran into an issue where we had a couple of teammates that had some substance abuse issues, and I refused to cover for them. And because I refused to cover for them, a manager who was a white man went out of his way to not only slander by name, but got me suspended. I was on suspension for three months. Ultimately, I got fired. Luckily, the union uh, saw it for what it was. It was complete lies and fabrication. I was able to get my job back, but I was on a uh, one-year probationary period after that. During that probationary period, that specific manager told me, you did it to yourself because you're black. And that's when I knew it wasn't because of my talent, my skills. It wasn't because of my mouth. It wasn't because of the way that I dealt with people. He told me, I did it to you because you're a young black man and you didn't know how to stay in your place. And it, while it wasn't a complete shock, I, it still was a shock. Of course, he said that outside of company grounds, away from anything that could have recorded him, And I knew at that moment that was going to be my word versus his. He was a 20 plus year professional with almost unblemished record. And I I talked to my director who was his boss and she said, you could fight it. But if you lose, 
it's going to be your career. And at that moment, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to swallow this. I'm, I'm just going to have to eat this because I'm not going to throw two years away of my life plus a year on a probation just for my, my own personal pride. So I, I pushed through it. I was the first person to make it off of that one year probation in the entire history of the company, which was, of course, a, a nod to the, the hard work and dedication that I put into that position. But it was absolutely rough. And having to look at that guy every day, knowing that he felt that way about me, knowing that he held my job in his hand and that any wrong thing that I said to him could be me out of the door because I'm already on probation. It, it was a very strong road that I had to walk. You know, the, the, the stories that we get, you know, and, and it seems like I'm wild every day by something that I hear. And that part of he was basically wanting to clip your job, you know, and take that away from you, take your livelihood away from you to where you can't eat. That These are just the little small parts that just get under my skin. Was there a dialogue in between the two of you about the uh, situation? No, uh, he didn't sit in on any of my uh, quote-unquote meetings. Uh, he didn't sit in at the end of the process when I made it all the way through and was getting ready to transfer out. We may have said maybe a word to each other in over a year. And uh, I, I, I was totally okay with that. I, I did not need to interact with him because he was not my direct manager. I just, I talked to my boss at the time. My boss was like, hey, keep your head down, do your job. It'll all come out in the wash. And I, I felt a big, big satisfaction a couple of years after that when he was no longer with the company. He got transferred out to a position that eventually got surplused. Karma. Yeah. That is what we call it. That it came back to it came right around like a boomerang. I knew, you know what, it if you just let if you let a fool be a fool long enough, they'll show their true colors and he did. I don't hold any animosity towards him today, but it took some years to get over that. It, it you know, it you wonder how people like that can be put in positions of power. You wonder how somebody along the way didn't see what I saw. Cuz I'm I'm sure I'm not the only person that then these types of things don't happen in a vacuum. So what's your feeling on, um, and this is a question that I always have, what is your feeling on the subject matter expert to the true leader? Because to me, there are a lot of subject matter experts, but they're not true leaders. So what do you feel about that? A SME has a valuable place inside of any business. Every single business on any level needs somebody that really knows what they're doing. The most technical people usually don't have the best people skills. And to be a true leader, you need to not only know what you're doing, but know how to talk to people and how to disseminate that information. You also need to know how to give people objective criticism. Just telling me, hey, you're doing that wrong doesn't help me. Showing me how I'm doing it wrong, giving me tips on how I can do it better, how I can do it more efficiently, that, that goes from being a, a subject matter expert to being a manager of people, to being a leader of people. 
knowing how to talk to people. And when I say how, I'm not just saying what to say to people, but how to say it. And as we all know, the three of us could say the exact same thing, but how we deliver that message is going to be drastically different. And because the, the method of how we deliver it is going to be so different, the results that come from that will also be very. I, I would take a great leader 10 times out of 10 over a subject matter expert every single time. Because there's only going to be a handful of subject matter experts. Anybody can be a leader if you know how to talk to people properly. To follow up that experience, how has that changed your method or how has that impacted or influenced your method of leading as a brand experience manager? I think to a lesser person from a lesser background, it would have broken me. It did. It had the exact opposite effect. I'm fearless now. I am completely fearless. I tell people all the time my story and the looks on their faces or jaws dropped. Oh my God. And I'm like, I've been fired before. It's not the worst thing in the world. How you come out of that makes the difference. What is your attitude going to be going forward? And my attitude now is, hey, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job well. I'm going to give you such a good impression of me that it's going to override anything that anybody might have said about me before you got the chance to meet me. Because once you meet me, you're going to know that guy not only knows what he's talking about, but he's fun, he's engaging, he's entertaining. I can't believe somebody would feel like that about him. And I, I take that kind of with a badge of, of, of honor. Everybody that I've ever met post that time period in my company, they have bad things to say about me because I'm human, but they have way more good things to say about me. If you need my help, ask for it. I always make myself available to people because I know now what the consequence of not doing that can be. Lending that helping hand and leading by example. That's important as we, you know, we talk about leadership because I think a lot of, you know, what's going on is is the lack of leadership that we actually have in these positions. And we're trying to get up to these levels and you're saying, how do I get there? Um, so my next question is going to be, you know, how has your experience shaped your perspective within the hiring and promotion processes in corporate America? The majority of people that look like me and come from where I come from are usually manager, director, head of a department. I don't really see anybody that, like I said, that looks like me or that comes from where I come from going any higher than that. You might have an outlier here or there, but the, the majority of us are, are stuck somewhere near the bottom. That's also where the most difference can be made. You get those decisions from on high, and those decisions are often misinformed or not informed at all. Uh, they're often algorithm-based and results-based, but results can be manipulated. You have to actually know what's going on in order to give a proper gauge. And I find that the folks who are in a position of actual power are near the bottom. You, you know, your immediate manager, your, you know, your, your second line, your third line, those are the people that know what, what you go through day to day, that know what kind of tools and resources you need, 
that know what type of educational stuff you need for training. These are the people that can go higher up and get the funds that the company has to give you what you actually need. Those people often know once they get to that point that they don't have really a desire to go any higher than that because they know what the bureaucracy actually looks like in practice. They know the higher up I go, the less in touch I will be with what's actually going on. Unfortunately, that also hinders having people that actually know what goes on at the top that can make real change. So it, it, it is a, it's a double-edged sword. The, the higher up you go, of course, the less interaction you're going to have with your day-to-day, but we need people to go higher so that when they move up, there's a vacuum that needs to be filled. And that lets somebody that you actually trust and knows what they're doing move up into that spot. So you still have an ear to the street, as we say. You, you still know what's going on. And of course, as that person moves up, they'll pull somebody else up behind them. That's the way that it's actually supposed to go. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that in most corporations. And it, it is, I'm hoping that it will change. But I, I temper those expectations because I, I know how the sausage is made. And to try to change that, not only is going to take time, but it's going to take people that are willing to try and fail. And I don't see a whole lot of people willing to try and fail. Because if you fail, you throw away your entire career. So it, it, it is going to take people that want to say, hey, let's try this. And if it fails, then damn it, we'll try something else. Yeah. So then with that, as you know, 2020 has been quite the year for everyone. Yeah. There's obviously been a lot of racial tension, a lot of emotions that have come to the surface. How do you think companies are now responding to all of that racial tension? Honestly, a lot of it is just lip service. A lot of it is just honest to goodness lip service. I'm 36. I was raised by a woman from Mississippi that was born in the 50s. My grandmother was born in the 20s. We don't know what racial injustice actually is. And as much as I've personally gone through, I didn't go through half of what my mom went through. She didn't go through half of what my grandmother went through. So we can see the actual progress that's come along. But for these corporations now, so much of it is lip service because their internal model doesn't fit what they're trying to actually achieve. And until your internal model fits what you're trying to do, I'm not going to believe you. You can say, hey, we want to promote diversity. You know, we want to put women in positions of power. We want to put people of the LGBTQ community. We want to put uh, black and Hispanic and native people in positions of power. But where are these positions of power? When are they going to open up? Are they going to open up? When they do open up, is that information going to be posted online or is it just going to be posted in a little circular group of people that have access to those jobs? That is how I can actually see what you're trying to do in action. You know, when a job, when we hear, hey, somebody's retiring, I immediately go look online and I'm like, okay, is that position been posted? Was it up for more than a week? Have you interviewed more than 50 people for that job? Have you interviewed more than 20 for that job? How are you training people to be qualified for these positions? Is there training qualified for these positions? 
these are the, the types of questions I'm starting to ask now. If a director position opens up, okay, what's required for it? Oh, I don't meet those qualifications. How can I, what can I do to meet those qualifications? Because I have the years. I've got the experience. So it's got to be something else. And if it's something else, okay, tell me what it is and help me get a pathway into giving myself those qualifications so that I can apply for it. But what I'm looking for now is if this, if diversity and inclusion is what you actually want, how are we building a path forward? What are we as company A doing that's going to be completely different from company B? Are you doing internal trainings? Are you giving people the class time that they need to do this work? Are you, you know, offering scholarships? Are you offering some type of reimbursement program? Are you giving people the time that they need to do this? Because you can't do all of this while you're on the job. So this is going to be extracurricular learning. Are you giving people the proper time to do this? Are you allotting an hour a day for somebody to go through and do some training? Are you allowing people to do side-by-sides? Are you encouraging people to, to reach out and get a mentor in that group so that they can learn how to navigate those waters? Because if you're trying to apply for something that you've never been in, you got to have somebody on the inside that knows how to navigate those waters. Are you letting those people know, hey, somebody's going to be reaching out to you. We want you to help them. We want you to give them the honest feedback that they need. Are you empowering the people at those high levels to reach back and say, hey, we're going to identify a pool of people and we're going to we're going to try to pull from that pool. And, hey, guys, I'm open for mentorship from nine to five on Tuesdays. Anybody can't that wants to can reach out. Are, are you promoting? Are you giving people the incentive to reach back? That that point right there is the biggest flaw that I find in a lot of these companies. You're got you're not giving people the incentive to reach back and help somebody. As a follow up, that a lot of that lip service, it's more of a facade that say, "Hey, we're making these changes externally. Check us out on social media. All these initiatives that we have, but internally, they continue to do business as usual." I, I find that a lot of companies are following that exact approach. It that it is. Hey, we want to let you guys know we're doing something, but we're not actually doing something. Now, I will contrast. There are some companies out there that are busting their butt to flip their entire model up. And I would love for as much as we as a populace chastise those companies that are just giving us lip service, that we promote the ones that are actually doing something, that we take our dollars and spend with those specific companies so that they know, hey, we see what you're doing. Not only do we appreciate it, but we're going to pump money into your company because you're out here trying. Now, if it fails, it fails. But you did more than everybody else did. You, you at least tried. The only way that you can actually build it properly is to try and fail. You, you're going to have to take some losses in order to get some wins. And the companies that are out here actively taking losses, actively saying, you know what, I might lose some subscriber accounts. I might lose some customers. But you know what? This is the right thing to do. Those are the companies that I'm looking at saying, OK, how what are they doing? How can we adopt that into what we're doing to not only mimic that, but to try to surpass it? Yeah. So the telecommunications company that you're employed by recently had some 
interesting numbers. And for non-management, I'm going to read off some of these. And this is for the United States only. The workforce is 54% white, 19% black, 17% Hispanic, 7% Asian, 3% other. Non-management, whites 50%, blacks 23%, Hispanic 20%, Asian 4%, other is 3%. But what gets me is the management to senior leadership. So whites at 60%, blacks 14%, Hispanics 13%, Asian 11%, other is 2 Then senior leadership, 74% white, 6% black, 6% Hispanic, 9% Asian, 5% other. Tell me what you think about these numbers. One, I'm not surprised because from the 30-something years that I've observed this telecommunications company from the outside and from the inside, it's about what was expected. Even saying that, seeing those numbers is jarring. Hearing you talk through the numbers of Black and Hispanic, you see the number getting smaller the higher up you go. Now, you would expect that number to get smaller because we're already a small piece of the pool. But you wouldn't expect the number to jump from 19 to 14 to 6. You would expect a slower progression. 19, 14, 12, maybe 10, 9. Then as you get nearer the top, then you would expect to see 6, 5, 4%. But the fact that those higher senior level positions are 74, that's three quarters of every position is held by somebody that's white, whether it's male or female. The breakdown, if you break it down further, you'll notice there are a lot more women in those positions now than there used to be. So that that is a form of progress. I, I have to give them credit for that. But even then, the majority of the minority people that are in those positions are also women. The higher up you go, the more you'll see female leadership. But at the very top, it's the guys, it's the fellas. And while that, that was what was expected, it, it is still very jarring to see almost no representation. And we're talking nationwide. It is very little representation there. How that is fixed, as people retire, and, and we have to be honest, a lot of the people in those positions are at the age of retirement. So in the next three to five years, a lot of those positions will be opening up. The questions that I have started to ask publicly in very public forums with some of these people on those calls is, what are you going to do to promote minority engagement into filling these positions out? If a minority person is not the most qualified person for that position, cool. You, you take who is most qualified. But if there is a minority man or woman, if that person is also just as qualified as somebody that you would normally just bring up the ranks to replace that position, are you going to give them a fair shot? If they get a fair shot, what is the realistic chance that they will get that position? And if they get that position, how are you going to replace their previous position? 
Are you just going to do away with their previous position? Which happens as these companies start to consolidate, as more and more purchases start to happen and more and more mergers start to happen. So they are eliminating fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh line managers, where that is a position that you could have moved somebody in that previously was not there. You are now just eliminating that position altogether. I'm asking why. Why not have that position? and give it to somebody who is just as qualified who didn't get it the first time around. I, I understand it, it might save a couple of dollars on the line sheet, but you're knocking off a career path for somebody who may have previously not had it. I'm asking the question, how are you going to fill it? If you're going to eliminate it, why? And is there something that we can do to change your mind? It, is there something that we can do as people that are lower on the rung to make people more available for these jobs? Are there groups inside of the company that we could form that can give you a bigger pool to draw from? And I, that, that's kind of where we are now is trying to get answers to those specific questions. Because if, if people don't know that these jobs exist, they're not going to apply for them. But once they know the jobs exist, if you don't have a big enough pool of talent to pull from, then you're just going to give that job to whoever. The questions I'm asking is, what can we do to build a bigger pool? And the answer to that is, you got to give people more opportunities. You have to go outside of your normal search parameters and find people. You got to be willing to go meet people where they are. Yes. And if you're not willing to do that, then it's going to stay that 74%. Hell, it might even go higher than 74%. Which would be scary if it did. You know, in the NFL, they have the Rooney rule. It's not the greatest system. And I will say that yesterday we had an interview and she kind of talked about the friend zone and the buddy-buddy system. Do you feel that that's part of what's going on? So the, the Rooney rule in the NFL was created by the uh, owners of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was in direct opposition to a lawsuit that Johnny Cochran was going to file against the NFL for unfair hiring practices. The Rooney rule, as it is currently, requires you to interview at least two minority candidates before you fill any head coaching job and any coordinator position, whether that's offensive or defensive. As it was originally written, you had to interview at least one minority for your head coaching job. It had nothing to do with coordinators. They have now changed that partly because of the success of the brother in Kansas City. And I cannot remember his name. He is the offensive coordinator for Andy Reid's team. That'll be Eric Bien-Aimé, my yes. fraternity brother. Yes. Part, part of that is his success. A major part of that is Tony Dungy's success. Because from Tony Dungy's tree spawned Mike Tomlin. There were, this was two or three years ago, there was a defensive backs coach that switched to offensive coordinator just so that he could get himself in the pool to be considered for hiring. When that didn't work, he switched to defensive coordinator to, again, make sure that he was in the pool of people to be chosen. The reason that I said it doesn't work is because these franchises are interviewing people like a 
Marvin Lewis, who you know is not going to take that job. You know for a fact he's not going to take that job. But you interview him just to say that you did. Why would he not take that job? One, because he doesn't want to coach professional football anymore. He spent years languishing in Cincinnati. He actually retired. And Cincinnati, instead of going out to interview somebody else, brought him back so that they could actually meet the requirements of the Rooney Rule. It, it would be like saying, hey, I'm going to go interview Tony Dungy, who's been retired for years. You know he's not coming off the desk to come take that job again. But I talked to him, so I, I satisfied the quota. Yeah. That, that is what the Rooney Rule is now. How we could, how we could adopt that for a telecommunications company like mine from the ground level, it would be, hey, these are the positions that are opening up for the next two or three years. These are what the qualifications for those positions are. We need a pool of people that meet these qualifications and a pool of people that will meet these qualifications in the next two years. So you, you, you build a, a ground base from that. Of those people, you take that entire pool. And you train the hell out of them. Every single one of them. You train them all like they will get that position. So that everybody will be evenly qualified from the gate. That creates a level playing field. So if you have a pool of 100 people that are going to apply for five jobs in the next two years, it doesn't matter what the demographics of that pool are. Every single person in that pool is qualified. Now, of course, the demographics will matter for the people in that pool. But if you're just setting up a system, you want to set the system up so that everybody in that pool gets qualified. And then you need to make a path for people that are unqualified to be able to get into that pool. So as I'm plucking names out of that pool, I'm putting more names into that pool. So if you're a tech out in the field and you have a desire to go into accounting, okay, do you have an associate's degree? Do you have a bachelor's degree in accounting? Oh, you don't? Hey, do you know such and such company does tuition reimbursement? Hey, we have a, a partnership with this college in your city. You can go to them, do night classes, do weekend classes, do summer classes. We'll pay for it. But we want to get you skilled up so that when you're ready to take this position, you have the requirements that we need. Oh, you want to go into marketing and you just have a bachelor's degree? Well, this position requires a master. So we're going to meet you halfway. We'll pay for 50% of your master's degree if you want to go attain it. And we'll bump you up enough in salary so that you can afford to do it. So that, again, you put yourself in this pool and once you're in the pool, we all know anybody can pick from that pool. Oh, I don't need somebody for marketing, but I need somebody that has a marketing background. Oh, I so-and-so, you know, John, John has, uh, he went and got his master's degree in marketing, but that's not his primary focus. But hey, he's got that. Let me go holler at John real quick. Oh, John told me he got three other guys that were in his class with them. Hey, let me talk to these guys because I might meet them later down the line. It's all about building a proper pool and instilling the rules for that pool to be able to grow as you pluck people out of that pool. Agreed. That is a legitimate solution. And, and it's funny because this company 
stakes claim to being one of the most diverse and you say to yourself, okay, yeah, you're looking at a certain amount of numbers and you say, okay, we're diverse. But I think where the diversity is missed is that when it comes to who's at the top of the heap and who's at the bottom of the heap, mm-hmm. and that's where the focus needs to be. And, and I have to give the, I, I will give the CEO some, some cred. Um, there, there seems to be some headway, but I need to see some results because all we could talk all day. Let, let's see what you're going to do. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some, maybe some layoffs, some surplus, some potential promotions of other people. How do you fill those roles? Where are these people going to fit? Are we going to start seeing those management positions kind of trend in another direction? And we're not asking for pity. We don't want pity. We want you to be able to put a, put a blindfold on and pick somebody. There you go. We want to know that it doesn't matter what I look like, where I come from, if I'm the most qualified. I'm the person that gets that job. Doesn't matter if you don't like. I work with people I don't like every day. It does not matter. If they are hard workers, I will fight for them. I will fight with them on their behalf. If anybody needs a character witness, hey, that brother, that sister is a hard worker. I can count on them when I need them. I can count on them when I don't need them. That that is what we are looking for. And it it will the next two years will probably determine the future of a lot of companies. We we will start to see how serious are you with building a pool. Are you serious enough that, that you say we're not gonna hire outside of our company for the next two years? We're gonna do nothing but fill positions from inside of our company. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to shut the people out from the outside and say, we have the skills here, we can do this, then you will find you got people that are ready to fill these positions that have just been overlooked because you're not looking for them. Absolutely. So what do you think Untapped can do? Because you've obviously offered a lot of solutions here. Mm -hmm. So where does Untapped fit in from your perspective? What do we need to do as a podcast and as a recruiting company do to develop these pools, to make a difference in these companies, to make sure that these next two years aren't lip service, that they are real for the next generation behind us? I, I don't want to be cliche, but it starts with education. It starts with letting people know where the positions are, what the qualifications are, and the resources that you have available to you to prepare yourself for those qualifications. If if company B says, hey, we've got five management positions that are going to be opened up in six months, here are the qualifications for them. I believe Untapped is in a unique position to say, hey, these are the skills that you guys are going to need. If you don't have the resources, here are where we can get you the information for the resources and make them available to you. There's grants, there's uh, small business loans, there's all types of ways for you to get access to the funds that you need in order to prepare people for the next stage in their career. Of course, that, that's going to require people taking the initiative themselves, but a big part of 
people getting off their butt and going doing stuff is knowing that it's available. Knowing, hey, this is where I can go. That's a central place for information. These guys will be able to provide us a, a hub of not only teaching materials, but a hub of people that have gone through this that we can lean back on and say, hey, you went through this, you know, six months ago. You know, you came on tapped and you said, hey, I, I need to get skilled up. And they were able to assist you in getting skilled up. How can I, you know, do you think they'd be able to help me out with that? So the, the first part of that is education. The second part of it is holding these companies feet to the fire, calling the ones out who are failing at holding up to what they say they want in diversity and inclusion and highlighting the ones that are succeeding and taking what is succeeding from their models and shaping that so that other people can get in. Because it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. It, it, that, that's just not the way the world works. But if I can take the diversity and inclusion pool that we talked about earlier, the, the skill pool, if I can take that and say, okay, this is what the, the telecommunications companies of 2021 are going to require. Here's access to resume builders. Here's access to job training that you can have, that you can get. Let's give people everything that they need on the front end so that they're ready to succeed. And then if they succeed, it's beautiful. If they don't, you still have the structure to push forward with the next group of people that come in. So it, it, it's education, it's accountability. There's some luck involved. I believe Untapped can really lean on, on the education and the accountability part of it. Amen to that, brother. That's one of the standard questions that we ask on this podcast. And I love that we get different answers each mm -hmm. time. So even though the question is repetitive, the answer never is. So that's really great insight, Jeff. Really appreciate that. That this is another um, one of those um, Sean Kemp slam dunks. <laughs> yeah, that that was just like Gary Payton throwing the alley hoop and and Jeff Jeff dunked it. It is my as Shaq used to say when he first came in the league. It is my job to destroy backboards. <laughs> Y'all like me destroying backboards? Build a stronger backboard. <laughs> Love it. So with that, Jeff, anything else that you'd like to add? Promote. Final thoughts. I'm horrible at promotion. I'm not on social media, so people really can't reach out to me. I do have an Instagram, and if you know it, you know it. If you don't, that sucks to be you. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I got a LinkedIn, and if you can find me, holla at your boy. Um, but no, <laughs> seriously, um, I want to thank Gene. Gene, I love you, dog, for putting me in touch with you guys and giving me the opportunity just to talk. This last year of my life, like I, I was mentioning to you guys earlier, has been a drastic change. It is giving me a renewed faith in my company. Some of the conversations that I've been able to have with people that don't look like me, that don't come from where I come from, that haven't experienced what I've experienced, but are willing to listen and are willing to soak in the information that I'm giving them, it, it is giving me a a renewed invigoration that these things are actually possible. It is going to take work, but if, if 
we can reach one person with the right type of information, if we can create empathy in the heart of one person at a time, I think we can legitimately change things. We won't be able to change the world, but if I can change my pocket of the world, I'll be happy with that. So I, I want to tell people, have empathy and apathy for people that don't look like you, have empathy and apathy for people that don't come from where you come from. If you don't know something, ask. Don't worry about how you ask the question. Worry about the substance of the question. If you offend somebody, apologize. Let them know my intention is not to offend. My intention is to educate myself. And if, if you have legitimate questions and that person doesn't have the answer to those questions, get off your butt and do the research and find the answer to that question yourself and share that information with the next person. Black folks get you some white friends. White folks, you need you some black friends. <laughs> and I, I, I seriously think if, if we lead with empathy and apathy, we'll start to see the changes that we're looking for a whole lot faster. So that is going to be my message in 2021. I'm a man. I don't go through what women go through, but I can be an ally. I, I can stand behind you and be ready to defend you when you need it. I can be a support system when you need that. My job is to make sure that your job is a little bit easier. To, to my Latino community out there, I don't go through what you go through, but I'm an ally. If you need my help, I'm there for you. To my poor white community, we in the same boat, my brother. If you need help, I'm there. But I need to know that I can also count on you. There you go. I think that's a perfect way to wrap things up. So, Jeff, thank you again for sharing your experiences and really all the insight and gems that you've just shared with us. So, love that you agreed to come on our on our podcast. I thank you, fellas, again. It, 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 I love having these types of conversations. As I told one of my coworkers, Black people talk about this kind of stuff all the time. It's nice to be able to let people in on the conversations because how else are you going to know? Yeah. I learn something new every day from every conversation that we've had. So even as, you know, the host of the show who stays typically silent to just to listen and hear, it's it's both fascinating, appalling, eye-opening, everything at the same time. So with that, we'll go ahead and close out. Thank you again to all of our listeners for another episode of the Untapped Podcast. We will see you next time.